So, uh, recap. We have not had class for uh, two, we've been off two Sundays. Uh, we had class on Wednesdays, but not on Sundays. So, to recap, what book are we in? Isabel, what book are we studying? Her name's not Isabel, but good job helping her out. Isabel's like, thank you, Elena. Yeah, so we've been studying Joshua. What is the key phrase, somebody besides the Gibson girls, that we've been talking about in this study? Huh? Yes, be strong and have a good courage, or yeah, be of good courage. How many times does that phrase show up in the Bible? Yes, it is more than one. Six. Six. Good job, Oliver. Bonus points if you know where those six times are. Do you remember? In Joshua 1, not Joshua 1. Joshua 1 has three of them. Then Joshua 2. Nope. Joshua 2 has none. It's literally Joshua 1 has three of them, and one other chapter has the other three. Nope. Nope, it's not in Joshua. Check your notes, Audrey. Oh, oh, it's uh, it's Juju that always takes notes on her phone. No, she doesn't take notes on her phone. I take notes on my phone on Wednesday and Okay, maybe that's what it is. Occasionally on Sundays, but um, you said the last time you had Sunday service in here a couple of weeks ago, and I don't remember what I did. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, it was the week before Christmas Eve. Ladies on the couch, you guys remember what the other three times were? Look like you were going to say something. You don't know. Uh, it was in Deuteronomy chapter 31. It was right before Joshua. So Deuteronomy has like, I think, 34 chapters in it. No. Yeah, 34 chapters. So a couple chapters before the end of Deuteronomy. And then the next book is Joshua. So it's kind of all around the beginning of the book of Joshua. And so it centers all around the same thing. Uh, so at the end of chapter 2, that's where they sent the spies into uh, Jericho to spy out the land. How many spies did Joshua send? Two. Two. And what did they come back and say, basically? That they could take the land of God, but it was giants, I think. They didn't talk about giants. These guys didn't. That was the first group. But they did say they could take it. They said, basically, that the people there are already afraid of us. Remember, because Rahab was telling them how uh, ever since we've heard about all the things you guys have been doing, we're afraid, and we know that you have uh, God on your side, and that he's a powerful God, and all of that. So they came back and they said, the words that they actually said is, Truly the Lord hath delivered into our hands all the land, for even all the inhabitants of the country do faint because of us. So um, the people that were in the land that they were getting ready to go conquer, the promised land, Israel, um, they were they they had heard about them and they were afraid. And so they were like, hey, we've already basically won this battle. God, is, God has already done the work by going before us like he said he would. And... Uh, Everyone's kind of afraid of, of what's going to happen when we come into the land. Okay, so uh, we got partway through. We got like the first five verses of Joshua chapter 3. So open your Bible, uh, Joshua. I'll read the first five verses of chapter 3 again as a recap. <clears throat> Somebody has a church Bible. Tell me what page that's on. Joshua 3. Lynn, where's your Bible? In the basket. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that one. That's just like one loose page that came out. I don't know. 
Oh, then tell me what page it's on when you get there. Or did you guys find it? Joshua chapter 3? What page is it? <laughs> what? I can't hear what you said. Just tell me what. Page number 323. Is it 324? Yep. Are you in Joshua chapter... Yeah, okay, 324, you're right. What's up, Elias? We're in Joshua chapter 3. He doesn't know what to do since the couch is taken. Good job taking the couch before he got here. He's, he gets too comfy on that couch. All right, Joshua chapter 3. I'll read the first five verses. This is a recap of what we we were on these verses the last time that we were together, but I realize you guys have slept since then. So we're going to read it, recap it, and then jump into... Uh, yeah, today's. So Joshua chapter 3, verse 1 says, And Joshua rose early in the morning, and they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host, and they commanded the people, saying, When ye see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then ye shall remove from your place and go after it. Yet... There shall be a space between you and it, about two thousand cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that ye may know the way by which ye must go, for ye have not passed this way heretofore. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Okay, so he's getting ready. He's preparing them for battle, basically. He, he tells them that the Ark of the Covenant is going to go before them. They need to stay back uh, about a half a mile. Uh, and watch because this is a way that they haven't gone before. And then jo- Joshua ends that passage in verse five by telling them, uh, "Hey, get ready because tomorrow God's going to do something uh, miraculous, right? He's going to." This says, "The Lord will do wonders among you." And so that's where we that's where we stopped last week. And uh, there's a few other things I wanted to talk about in those first few verses. So we'll talk about that, and then we'll get uh, hopefully we'll get to the rest of the chapter today. Um, so flip really fast, hold your place there, or just remember what page you're on, and flip to Exodus chapter 13, which is back towards the front of your Bible. If you have a church Bible, it's probably page like, I don't know, 100-ish. 13. Ooh, I was close. 102. It's page 102. So, uh, so God... God telling them to take the Ark of the Covenant, that he was going to like lead them. Uh, this is not something new for them. So what, what has Israel been doing? Oh. What has Israel been doing for the last 40 years before they're about to go into the promised land and conquer? What have they spent the last 40 years doing? Wandering around in the wilderness. Okay, so all... Huh? Yes, everyone that was over the age of 20 when they left Egypt uh, is dead. So everyone that's left right now is 60 years old or younger. Okay, so all the people that we're talking about in the book of Joshua, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, those guys are both older than 60. Uh, but other than them, everyone was under the age of 60, and most of these people were born in the wilderness. Or they were so young when they began wandering in the wilderness that that's basically all they've ever known. So... Um, so that's kind of like the, the mindset that these people are in is, is they've been wandering for basically their entire life through the wilderness, waiting for this day where they could finally enter the promised land. They're getting ready to do that now. But I want to go back to Exodus 13 because uh, 
the last few verses, look at verse 17. It says, And it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, Lest peradventure the people repent when they see war, and they return to Egypt. But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joshua with him, for he had, sorry, Joseph with him, for he had straightly sworn the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones away hence with you. And they took their journey from, uh, from Succoth, and encamped in Etham in the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Okay, so from the time they left Egypt until up until where we are in the book of Joshua, God's been leading them uh, physically, like there's been something physical leading them through the wilderness this whole time. So a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night to light up the you know, light up the wilderness. So God has been physically leading them this entire time. And so for them to like, when, when he says, Hey, I'm going to take the Ark of the Covenant out before you. I want you to like stay back and watch where it goes. And cause you guys have never gone this way before. Um, I want, I want to lead you into the promised land. I want to lead you uh, to this miraculous thing that's getting ready to happen. That wasn't something that was new for them. They've been following the, the Lord physically, um, this whole time. So, uh, you know, we don't have like, there's nothing physical. Uh, God doesn't physically lead us like that anymore. Sometimes it would be nice, right? If like, uh, you know, all of a sudden one day you wake up and there's, you know, God is just somehow physically showing you, hey, like follow this person, follow, uh, you know, this thing and I'll, and I'll get you, you know, where I want you to be. Sometimes that would be nice for us, but we have something better than that. We have the Holy Spirit. Uh, if you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you that leads you and guides you and directs you. And, um, and so while we don't have the physical like leading of God, uh, we do have it. We do have it spiritually. And so the point of this, though, is that Israel did not have this was not something new for them, that they were going to be following what God was like. God has always been leading them. Most of these people's lives, God has been leading them in the way that he wants them to go and taking them where he wants them to go. And so for them to watch and follow the the ark of the Lord, uh, that was not something new for them. So. Um, but the thing that was going to be a little bit different for them, you can go back to Joshua 3 now. Uh, the thing that was going to change for them a little bit is they've had this pillar of cloud or pillar of fire for most of their life or all of their life. And they're getting ready to enter the promised land and they're not going to be wandering anymore. They're not going to be needing to be led around, right? They're, they're going to the place that they're going to be living out the rest of their days. They're going to be living in cities. They're not going to be wandering through the wilderness anymore. Uh, so things were getting ready to change for them and, uh, it was going to be a lot different. I mean, they, they've always had, uh, they've always had Moses up until just shortly before Joshua chapter three, when he died and Joshua took over. So they've always had like this one guy that has communicated with God. And then he gets up and he tells all the people, Hey, this is what God said. And then they are physically wandering around and they're following like, God's physical presence in this pillar of light or this uh, pillar of a cloud. So they've always had these things in their in their life or in place uh, to kind of direct them, right? So Moses has been their 
their guide as far as like a guy. Um, obviously, it's been coming from the Lord, but but Moses has been the guy that's been uh, guiding them and communicating directly with them, and they've had God leading them physically like this whole time. And it's getting ready to change because they're entering the promised land. They don't, they're not going to be led around anymore. They're getting to their, their final place, the place that they've been waiting to get to this whole time. And so, um, in the wilderness, they, they had to look to God for leadership. Okay. They had to look to God literally to see, okay, where is the, where's the cloud today? Which, which direction are we supposed to be wandering today? Where's the fire at night? Okay. We need to make sure we follow this, this pillar of fire. So they had to physically look to the Lord for leadership, for direction, for guidance. Uh, and if it wasn't, you know, one of those pillars, uh, leading them like a direction to go, it was Moses telling them, Hey, today we're going to do this. Okay. Today, this is what we're trying to accomplish. Um, God also, uh, during that 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, God also provided food for them every day, right? When they woke up, there's manna on the ground. There's, there's bread on the ground. They had to go out and they had to collect that. So their routine was, Okay, we get up in the morning, we go gather the bread, uh, we only gather enough for that one day, and we listen to what Moses has to say for the day, we got all these different things we're supposed to be doing. Uh, when it's time to like pack up our camp and leave, God's going to lead us the direction He wants to lead us, then we're going to set up a new camp, there's going to be a, a pillar of fire at night if it gets dark while we're still walking. Uh, you know, we're going to set up our camp the next morning, we're going to get up, we're going to collect the manna, etc. So, like, the routine was pretty much set for them for their entire life, for this last 40 years. And uh, they're getting ready to enter a promised land where they're not going to have to look to God for physical leadership anymore. Okay, They're not going to have to look to God to go collect manna. Okay, God was providing food in the desert where there is no food. He was providing that food for them as a, like, as a, like a reminder, hey, you need to come to the Lord every single day to get the bread and the food that you need to survive. Okay, that's a picture for us that we need to be going to the Bible, the Word of God, the bread of the bread of life. Right, we need to be gathering this every single day in the morning. Um, that's that's the picture that it's painting for us um, to apply this in our lives. But for them, they they weren't going to have to do that anymore. They were entering the the promised land, which was uh, it was called the land flowing with milk and honey. Okay, there was there was tons of food there. There was tons of um, resources in this land. So they weren't going to have to rely on God anymore to provide them their food. Okay. They also were not going to have to rely on God to provide them leadership and guidance and direction anymore because they were going to be in their cities. Like they, they don't need to be led around the wilderness anymore. Okay. And then once they start setting up these cities, now they're all spread out across the whole nation of Israel. Uh, having one centralized leader like Moses or Joshua that was going to change, right? I mean, when, when you're wandering in the, wandering around in the wilderness as a group of a million people or whatever they were, and Joshua gets up and, and everyone, I mean, maybe he can't like yell loud enough for a million people to hear him, but like they're all together and Joshua gets up or Moses gets up uh, and is able to speak to and communicate to the people directly. Well, when these people start living, you know, 50 miles apart in their own cities, that's going to change, right? The leadership is going to change. So, they're, they're losing the, the, the physical need for God as far as food goes. They're losing the physical leadership of God as far as the pillar of, of cloud or fire goes. And they're going to be losing the leadership of the man of God, um, at least directly. I mean, obviously Joshua still is, is in charge as they take over these cities, but uh, things are going to change dramatically for them as they get into the promised land. So I want you guys to think about this, like for you guys, how, how, what does this even mean for you? Okay, so right now, uh, you guys all live with your parents, right? You guys are in a household where 
uh, food is provided for you, right? You get a you get a bed. Maybe you have some toys and some stuff. Um, that kind of stuff is provided for you. You don't have to really work for it. Uh, now you guys probably have chores and stuff like that that you have to do, but uh, you don't have to really like work to survive. Things are provided for you. Okay, uh, the the spiritual leadership in your house uh, that'll probably vary from house to house, but you guys are all like all of your parents have you plugged into a church. You guys have access to a Bible. A lot of your parents uh, know a lot about the Bible and maybe are teaching you things from the Bible. Uh, they can at least answer some questions from the Bible for you. You have a lot of those things provided for you, right? There's going to be a day in the next five to ten years that most of you guys will be out on your own, not not living with your parents anymore. Um, maybe you're living on your own. Maybe you're living. Maybe you get married and you're living with a, a husband or a wife. But you're going to have to start providing some of those things for yourself, right? Whenever Brenda and I got married, both of us had lived with our parents up until that point. And, you know, like if we didn't, like our parents when we were, you know, 18 years old didn't make us get up and go to church. But if we didn't go to church for a couple of weeks, uh, they were going to be like, hey, what's going on? Why aren't you guys coming to church? You know, like my parents would have asked me that. Her parents would have asked her that. Okay. My dad, up until the time I moved out, was asking me, not every single day, but he would ask me fairly regularly, you know, are you reading your Bible? What, you know, what, where are you reading at? Um, you know, he would make sure that like I was growing spiritually. Well, when we got married, Within 30 days of us getting married, we moved from here to Phoenix, Arizona. Okay, so we were not living anywhere near our parents anymore. If we just stopped going to church, uh, our parents couldn't have stopped us, right? There was nothing that was, I mean, they would have been wondering, like, what's going on? Why aren't you guys going to church? But there wouldn't be any, any way for them to force us to go to church anymore, right? There was no way for them to, to make sure that we were getting fed spiritually. Um, and so... The nation of Israel is getting ready to enter that. You guys in the next five to ten years of your life are getting ready to enter a stage where, you know, God is not going to be, uh, let me be careful how I say this, like, it's not going to be as, uh, your routine is going to change, right? Things are going to be different in your life to where, uh, you know, your parent is not going to be there to like, you know, scoot you along in your growth with the Lord. It's going to be up to you to do the things that you're supposed to be doing. These these, these Israelites uh, have been trained up and grown up and they should have had a relationship with the Lord that was strong enough that they didn't necessarily need his physical providing of food, his physical leadership anymore. They, they should have had a relationship somewhat of their own with him. And to an extent they did. Uh, I'm not saying that they did uh, terribly in that, but... Um, but things were just getting ready to change. Their routine is, was getting ready to change. Um, another example for us, so you got, all of us have our routines, right? Like you, you get up at a certain time, you go to school, or you are homeschooled, you start doing your studies or whatever. Uh, you know, you eat lunch at a certain time. You, you, know, you get home from school at a certain time. Maybe you first thing you do is you, you know, sit down and watch TV, or you get your phone out, or you play video games, or you, maybe you go work on your homework if you're a really good student like maybe go take a nap i don't know like you kind of have a routine of what each day looks like um that's going to vary a little bit from between all of you guys but for the most part you kind of have a set routine okay we have a routine at our house also um a couple weeks ago we got a new puppy and so our routine changed dramatically when that happens okay so we have a we have an older dog she's like 15 years old she pretty much just is on autopilot we don't have i mean we feed her and we let her outside but other than that like we don't have to really worry about uh, hey, do we need to be home at a certain time so we can let her out? She's pretty much good. 10, 10 to 12 hours by herself at home, she's fine. She's not going to get stressed out about that. She doesn't usually doesn't pee all over the floor or anything. She can, she can, she'll just sleep at home. She doesn't get into stuff. She doesn't 
tear things up, chew things. We can leave doors open. As long as there's not like food on the floor, she's not really going to get into anything. Um, but so we get this puppy. She's 10 weeks old when we get her, almost 11 weeks old when we get her. Uh, she needs to be let out like every hour or every two hours. Uh, she doesn't know how to sleep in a kennel. She doesn't know. We can't just leave the doors open in the house even when we're home. She doesn't know that she's supposed to pee outside or poop outside. She doesn't know a lot of the things, right? So we can't now. Now we have to rearrange our life, our schedule a little bit, especially when we first got her, to where like we have to do things at a certain. Like, wait, hey, we're going to be gone for four hours. What are we going to do with the puppy? We can't leave her alone for four hours. Uh, we gotta take her with us, or we gotta figure out something. Can someone come check on her? Maybe we gotta come home early in between what we're trying to do. So we had to like kind of totally change up our routine uh, to make it work with this this new puppy. Now she's kind of starting to get acclimated, <clears throat> but she still can't be left alone for like hours at a time. And so um, my point is, we like our there was a change in our life, right? We got a puppy, and so that changed the routine in our life. Um, your there's like there's different days in your life where your routine is different. When you guys have winter break, your routine probably looked a lot different than like a normal school day, right? You probably were not getting up at six o'clock in the morning on your winter break, right? You're probably sleeping in a little bit. Uh, you didn't have to get up and go, you know, get ready. Maybe you were in your pajamas all day. Uh, maybe you didn't shower for two days because you didn't have to be around other people. Maybe you just sat on the couch and watched TV all day, or I don't know, your routine was different when you don't have school. And so when there's a change in your life, then your routine changes. Uh, these guys, that there was about to be a dramatic change in their life. They were getting ready to enter the promised land that they've been waiting all this time for. And so their routine was going to change. They, they weren't going to have this regimented routine of getting up, gathering manna, checking in with Moses. What's the deal for the day? Okay, there's a cloud. God's leading us this way. Let's pack everything up. Let's leave. Like The routine was kind of set for them day by day by day. And that was getting ready to change. Uh, because they were, there was going to be a dramatic change in their life. They were going to be entering into the promised land. And so uh, there's a lot of parallels we can get from that. But, um, but God wanted to remind them, even as they entered the promised land, hey, things are going to change. There's a big change coming, but I still want your focus to be on me. I still want you guys to pursue after me, God's saying. Right, so when they're getting ready to lead into the promised land, God's like, hey, listen, the smoke and the fire, that's going away. The manna, that's going away. Okay, but I'm still, God wanted to remind them, the Ark of the Covenant, watch where that thing goes and follow the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, that, that is, that is God still leading them, uh, you know, one last time kind of as they enter into the promised land. And so, uh, what's, what's the first of the Ten Commandments? Anybody know? If you don't know, look it up. Exodus 20. Grab a water bottle real fast. First one, have no gods before me, okay? God wants to be number one always. He's literally been telling them that since they started wandering in the wilderness and they got the Ten Commandments. God says, I need to be number one. 
Uh, for us, God still wants to be number one. Okay, God should be the priority uh, in our life. He knows He knows how we think. He knows how we are. God does. Uh, God knows that it's going to be, you know, our natural fleshly desire is going to want to be put something else before God, right? All of us have things in our life that are important to us. And a lot of times we put those things as a priority before God. So God, even from the very first commandment, tells them, Listen, I know you're going to be tempted to put other things before me. Please put God for, put me first, God says. Okay, so, um, so he's, he's still trying to remind them of that physically with this, with this example of the Ark of the Covenant going first. Hey, I'm going first. I've already gone in. Your spies came back and told you that they've already been hearing about me and about us. And they're basically already defeated. Mentally, they're defeated. Now we just need to physically go in and do it. And so God's like, I- I'm going to go in first. Follow me. Let Put me first um, in your life and see what I'm going to do. Right? That's what Joshua says. He's gonna, he says that, uh, that God is going to do wonders among them. All right. So uh, Joshua chapter 3. Verse, let me read verse 4 again. It says, Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that ye may know the way by which you must go, for ye have not passed this way heretofore. Um, <clears throat> so God's telling them, like, hey, let, let, or not God, Joshua's telling them, let God direct your steps. Uh, anybody know what Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 say? Somebody knows what it says. If you don't know it, get to flipping. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Oliver, you know what it says? I bet you'll know it once you read it. Somebody read it when they get there. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Nope. That's 6. 7, 5. Anybody heard those verses before? Sound familiar, Oliver? Okay, I thought so. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not into thy understanding, and all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Okay, that was that was true for the Israelites here in, in Joshua chapter three. That's true for uh, Solomon who wrote those words in Proverbs. It's true for us today. Right? God is the same. God doesn't change. And so if we trust in the Lord with all of our heart and we we don't go the way that we think is right, we don't go the way that that we want to go, uh, but we let God direct the steps. He, that's what He's going to do. He's, he's going to direct our steps, just as He was doing with these guys here. Um, so, <clears throat> uh, let me see here. All right, let's read the rest of chapter three. <clears throat> Joshua chapter three, verse six. It says, And Joshua spake unto the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, and pass over before the people. And they took up the Ark of the Covenant, and went before the people. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. And thou shalt command the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When ye are come to the brink of the water of Jordan, ye shall stand in Jordan. And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, Come hither, and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Hereby ye shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hivites and or sorry, the Hittites 
and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Gergesites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth passeth over you before before passeth over before you into Jordan. Now therefore take you twelve men out of the tribes of Israel, out of a tri- out of every tribe a man. And it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord, <clears throat> uh, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of Jordan, that the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand upon an heap. And it came to pass when the people removed from their tents to pass over Jordan, that uh, and the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the Lord, and as they bear the ark. Uh, Sorry, and as they that bear the ark were come unto Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped in the brim of the water, for Jordan overfloweth all his banks all uh, all the time of harvest, that the waters which came down from above stood and rose up upon a heap very far from the city, Adam, that is beside Zaratan, and those that came down toward the sea of the plain, even the salt sea, failed. And were cut off, and the people passed over right against Jericho. And the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan. And all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until all the people were passed clean over Jordan. Okay, so what is what does this sound like? Is there another time you guys can think of that sounds similar to what happened here? Yeah, Moses crossing the Red Sea. Okay, so. I want you guys to think about this again. Why? So, when God did that, when they when they crossed over the Red Sea, why did God do that? Why did God part the waters and let them cross over on dry land in the Red Sea? Yeah, to get away from the Egyptians, right? They were they were backed into a corner. They had mountains on on two sides, and they had the water on their backside. And the the Egyptian army was coming at them from the front side, so they all started freaking out. They all started crying to Moses, "Why have you brought us out here in the wilderness? We're going to die. Uh, what have you done? Well, let's just go back to Egypt. Uh, all that stuff, okay?" And so God shows up and He's like, "Moses, get your staff out, hold it over the water, and watch what happens. The, the water parts. They all run across on dry land. The Egyptians start pursuing them and coming after them." And as soon as the last Israelite gets out of the of the uh, sea or the the dry land, God brings the waters crashing back down, right, and kills all of the the Egyptian army. Okay, so God did that for several reasons, but for one was to like show them, hey, even when things look impossible, right, even when you're surrounded on three sides and the enemy's coming at you from the fourth side. Uh, like, don't don't lose your faith in in what God does. God did not lead them out of Egypt just to let them die, you know, a few miles from Egypt. That was not what he did. That's not why he did that. Uh, but he put them in that situation where their only option was God, and God came through and delivered them, right? And so he did this miraculous thing that that we still talk about today that happened, you know, four thousand years ago. And so he does he did that, and at the time. All of these people that are alive now in Joshua chapter 3 were either under the age of 20 or they weren't yet born. Okay, So they were either kids or very young adults uh, or they weren't even alive yet whenever this happened. So maybe they remember it. Maybe they don't remember it. I mean, does, did, a, did a three-year-old at that time, would they remember that have happening by the time they're 50? Probably not. Okay, so um, So most of these people did not remember. They had heard stories about it. 
definitely, but they, they, most of them did not remember. There, there would have been some that would have remembered that. Uh, but when God, now this time they're not being pursued by, by an enemy. They are getting ready to enter into enemy territory though. And so God, God does the same thing for them again this time. And he parts the Jordan River and they walk through on dry land. And, and it's, it's just, it's just another reminder. Hey, God can stop the waters of this, of this massive river and we can walk through on dry land. Remember how God did that with our parents or our grandparents and he parted the Red Sea and they were, they were able to get away from the Egyptians and God protected them and, and saved all of them. He killed the enemy that was pursuing after them. Like it was just a reminder for them. If you would have been uh, alive in Joshua chapter three and you would have, and you would have seen God part the waters of the Jordan river and you guys walk through on dry land, that would have been like a, a vivid memory for you to think, Oh my gosh, this, there's a lot of parallels to what happened with the Red Sea and our parents or our grandparents, or if some of them were old enough themselves had already done this once before. Uh, it was just, it was kind of bookends of this time in the wilderness. So at the very beginning, as soon as they left Egypt, they had this bookend moment that God was like, listen, watch what I can do. It's going to be miraculous and it's going to be awesome what I'm going to do. And it's going to be something you're going to talk about for thousands of years because it's, it's never have happened before. Um, and so this is like a, a bookend miracle that God does on one end of them just beginning their 40 year journey in the wilderness. And then literally the last thing they do, the Jordan River is the border of the promised land. So as soon as they cross the Jordan River, they are now in the promised land. And the first city that's right there is the city of Jericho. That's where the, that's the first enemy that they're going to fight is the city of Jericho. But literally the very beginning and the very end of their 40 year time in the wilderness is bookended by crossing a body of water as God parts the water and allows them to walk through. Okay, so so God does something miraculous for them and, and it's a really strong picture for them. They would have, I mean, we obviously can see the parallels between the Red Sea and the Jordan River. Uh, but for them, if, if you're living it out, this would have been like a really powerful thing for them to have seen. They, they would have been hearing about this parting of the Red Sea their whole lives. And now they're part of God parting the Jordan River so that they can walk through. And so it would have been a really strong reminder for them or a strong like evidence for them that, hey, God was with our parents or our grandparents back then. He is with us just as much today as we enter into this promised land as they were when they were coming out of captivity or as he was with them when they came out of captivity. And so he does this, he does this miraculous uh, thing for them. And uh, we'll get more into this, the rest of this chapter uh, next week. We'll finish Joshua chapter three next week. But uh, it's just a really, it's a really, um, it's a really amazing thing what God does. Is, and just the ways that he continues to remind and continues to work through these people. Because we've like, just, just through the study that we've gone through so far in the book of Joshua, we see, okay, they have a, they have a new leader that replaces Moses, right? At the very end of Deuteronomy, uh, Moses dies. And so they have a new leader that comes in and God has Moses and Joshua on the, you know, up, up in front of the people all at the same time. And, and he's telling them, Hey, listen, just like I was with Moses, I'm going to be with Joshua. And he's doing all this in front of the people. Uh, Moses is, is telling everyone, Hey, listen, Joshua's going to be taking over. I can't come into the promised land with you. Joshua's going to lead you in. God's going to be with him just like he was with me. Listen to Joshua just the way that you've listened to me. And, and so there's like the transfer of, of leadership and it happens in front of all the people. Uh, but then in this, in this verse where in verse, uh, six and Joshua, no, not six, uh, Joshua three, seven, 
And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. So it's already happened where Moses is gone. And, he, and he's already told the people, Hey, you need to follow Joshua just like you followed me. And God's going to be with him just like he was with me. And, and Joshua's already been kind of a leader in the first couple chapters of, the, of this book. But God tells Joshua this day, he says, Hey, today I'm going to begin to magnify your uh, position among the people to the point that I did with Moses. I'm going to start that process with you today. Um, and to think about, like, if you were an Israelite and you're like, getting ready to go into the promised land, but your leader that you've been with for the last 40 years, the guy that, that delivered you from Egypt and led you through the wilderness and dealt with all of your drama and all these things, and he dies right before you're about... It would be a little bit disheartening. And you know you have Joshua. Okay, and Joshua's been around the whole time as well. Um, but you're, you're changing leadership. That can be difficult. Um, and so God says, hey, I'm going to start your time as, le- as the leader of, of Israel the same way I started Moses' time as the leader of Israel. He came in and he you know, delivered them from, or I, God delivered them from, from Egypt, but through Moses, right? He was a key piece in that, getting them out of Egypt. But really the first thing that kind of solidified in the people's minds, because, I mean, yeah, he led them out of, out of captivity, but they kind of like snuck out in the night. And, uh, and so by the time they get to the Red Sea and Pharaoh has changed his mind and he's chasing after them, uh, you know, Moses is like, he gets solidified as their leader when God parts the Red Sea. The people look to Moses like, oh my gosh, God is using this guy. He used his staff and he parted the sea. And it kind of it tied the people to Moses uh, more closely, right? That they, they not only did they know that he was the leader, but now they recognized, okay, this guy is, God is with this guy, right? He, he's able to do this miraculous thing through God. We should probably listen to him. And they did better, you know, sometimes they did better than others uh, at listening to and following Moses. But uh, God starts off Joshua's time the same way. Hey, Joshua, I know that it's going to be rough for you as the new leader. And we're entering the promised land. All this stuff's going on. But then he he does the exact same thing with with Joshua that he did with Moses. Hey, why don't you go part this? We're going to part this sea. And the people are now going to see, they're going to associate you as their leader because you're my man that I'm using just like they did just like their parents did with Moses as they saw him as the leader because of what he was able to do through you know because God allowed him to and so there's just a lot of parallels that go along with that and so when God says he's going to begin to magnify Joshua in the sight of the Israelites just like he did with Moses then he goes on and he does almost the exact same thing that he did with Moses for Joshua and so the people see, okay, now now we get it. Like, yes, we knew Joshua was the leader, but we can really see God's with him because he's doing the same kind of stuff that Moses did. And so um, that's where we'll stop for today. We'll get into the rest of the chapter uh, next week. But I want you guys to just, just try to think about that and, and just to see how God is using um, all these things. Because know, God knows that this massive change is going to come about as they enter the promised land. And when they're in the wilderness... Right? There's only like one God to follow, right? They're all by themselves. They're in the wilderness. There's no one else around. But when they get into the promised land, there's tons of other gods. Okay, there's all these different people groups. They all have their own God or multiple gods that they follow. And so God knows that, that it's going to be, uh, you know, distracting. And there's going to be lots of uh, things that are going to try and draw their attention away from following him. 
and uh, and so he he tries to do this before they enter into the promised land um, to kind of get them prepared and ready and and refocus their attention on him and to follow him into the to the promised land. Um, you know, as a as a physical like a physical tool that he's using to lead them in, and so uh, it's not going to ultimately work as well as God wanted it to because they get distracted and don't do the right things. But we'll get into that as we get through the book of Joshua. So, any other questions today? Hal, you got any questions? Wake up. No questions. Go. It's amazing. Okay. Well, let's pray.